Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, and lessons therein. And uh, we like to do that in the spheres and the worlds of, of sports, of music, of comedy, of books, of church, pastoral, podcast world, the list goes on and on. And uh, I'm really blessed today to have with us Barnabas Piper. It was interesting how the podcast he just had, he talked about Sam Smith. And yes, Sam Smith needs a better, cooler name like Barnabas Piper. I don't think you could ever get tired of saying that. Is there anything about your name, Barnabas, we're going to start right there, that you don't like? I mean, it it was a bit of a burden when I was in elementary school because kids are mean. And wow. uh, and also that was sort of the the peak of popularity for Barney the Purple Dinosaur, which which dates me a little bit, but also, you know, caused a, a couple playground uh, scuffles. So, yeah, I mean, it, it had its day at this point. I, I mostly appreciate it. So talk about scuffles. Were you, were, I, mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. <laughs> One of my sons almost got in a little trouble, nothing that could have lended itself to a fight. But I, I talked to one of my boys recently about the last time I got punched in the face. It's been quite a while, but people don't seem to fight anymore. Did you, did you have some scuffles back in the day? Oh yeah. I mean, I wasn't like a brawler or anything, but it was, it was the day when generally speaking schools allowed kids to resolve their issues. And then, you know, you'd have to go write a hundred lines on the chalkboard or stay in from recess and write it on, you know, that terrible paper with the dotted lines in the <laughs> yeah. middle. You know, I will not punch my yep. classmate for calling me Barney a hundred times or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't allowed, but it wasn't treated as if it was, you know, worthy of being ostracized and you were the worst kid in class just because you hit somebody. Yeah. Well, there's, there's definitely feels like some, not that we're, we're trying to be about star power or whatever, but there is some star power <laughs> panache in a name like Barnabas Piper to say the least. So let me get back to what I was saying about you. So, you know, you've written some books, uh, your latest, which we'll get into a little bit is a book called belong. That word seems to be a very popular word in Christian culture these days. I think, you know, we talked about in school and back in the day, I think, you know, kids, teenagers, we're always looking for a place to belong. You had the book that was, I think it had some significance too, called The Pastor's Kid. And we'll get to your dad in a little bit. And I, I told you before we got on, I, I'm really ashamed of myself that uh, your podcast has been one of those ones, The Happy Rant with Ted Cluck and Ronnie Martin, that's been out there kind of for a while for me. Like I know about it. It's out there. Ted Cluck is someone I'm a little bit familiar with. Because he used to write back in the day like a point and counterpoint in Sports Spectrum, which yep. I had the pleasure of writing a couple articles there way back when and know the guy who used to run it, but Jason Romano, who now does all the uh, online and, and uh, podcasting stuff with that. He's been on here. He's a friend. So I, I knew of Ted Cluck a little bit. But is it fair to say that I, I said in a note to you, uh, I feel like you guys are like the Christian Smartless podcast. Has anybody <laughs> ever said that? Or can we put that label out there? 
I have had one other person not not say that we are that, but say, hey, because of this kind of podcast that you do, you would totally you would totally enjoy Smartless. It's the same sort of style. And uh, I did check it out. And, you know, what's funny is I don't listen. I almost only listen to sports podcasts. Um, So in terms of podcasts that run in the same lane as the Happy Rant, um, I don't I don't listen to much. I did enjoy it, though. I mean, those are they're. They're just sort of riffing clever dudes who are smart and, you know, they bring on surprise guests and all this stuff. And it's a fun one that yeah. Smartless is. Well, and I, and I like, you know, when you guys were talking about, you know, Asbury, some some of the, the satanic, whatever, with the Grammy Awards recently with Sam Smith, uh, social media ministry. I mean, there was just a number of things you guys talked about that there's kind of an irreverence you guys have that's refreshing to me. And I kind of want to have definitely some sarcasm, but the relationship, much like, Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett. I mean, you can tell you three have some great chemistry that's really good. Now, where uh, Ted is, Ted's in some part of Tennessee, right? Yeah, he's in Jackson. He teaches at Union University. Yep. He's, uh, he oversees their journalism program, so in their communications department. And then you're in Nashville, and then Ronnie's in am. my neck of the woods, Ashland, yep. which uh, the radio station we do this at, Rise FM, they have uh, they have uh, satellites up that way. So uh, Ronnie Martin should become a fan of Rise FM. So. Well, I'm sure he's familiar. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully so. We ho- you said he's been there how long? Uh, I think about 10 years. Okay, well, they've been around up there for a couple, so I hope he knows about Rise FM. But um, anyway, Barnabas, let's get into your uh, your testimony. How did you come to Christ? What was God doing? How was he stirring for you to end up in a relationship with Jesus? Yeah, so I was, I was born into uh, a pastor's family. My dad, uh, I think we're going to touch on this later. My dad's John Piper, for those who are familiar with that name. Which means that from before I can remember, I was being taught the Bible, raised in a home where, where scripture was centered, and just pointed towards Christ very faithfully. I grew up in the church, quite literally, uh, and I was there as often as the doors were open, mostly for the good, but also, you know, there was some, there was some tension, especially once I got into my adolescent years in my 20s uh, in my relationship with the church. But so I would say I, I professed faith in Christ as an elementary school student. And, and I think, I think that was genuine. Um, and I think I grew, but there was also just a profound amount of, uh, immaturity and then hypocrisy because as a pastor's kid, I had a real keen sense of what I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to believe. And it was way, it way outpaced my, my vibrance in my spiritual life, my affection for Christ, my own understanding of grace. And that didn't catch up until my mid twenties when you know, when you're immature and hypocritical, you end up getting yourself in a lot of trouble. So I ended, I got fired from a job because of dishonesty in the workplace. And that was the thing that the Lord used to really humble me and to show me the disparity between my own sort of prideful uh, sense of who I was versus who I actually was in Christ. And, and so humbled me, showed me the reality of grace, brought me to a place of, of, recognizing that the, the fullness of who Christ is. And so I, that was, that was almost 15 years ago now. And, uh, and so the last 15 years have been just taking all that stuff that was built into me as a child and realizing the, the, the richness of it. So my parents didn't waste their efforts. The church wasn't wasted on me. It just took a long time for those seeds to grow. So let's t- pick apart a word you said there, you use the word outpaced. I found that a very mm-hmm. interesting word as you responded there. I mean, I'm, I'm putting my dad hat on now. So I've got a 14-year-old daughter, a 16-year-old son, an 18-year-old son, and a 19-year-old son. 
Uh, my 19-year-old son, son turns 20 in a couple weeks. He uh, is on staff at our church. My daughter actually texted me on the way up here and said, hey, Dad, what's that podcast again that uh, I listened to the one time with the, the, her daughter and her mom was on her. It was Jenny Allen, who I think is great. Mm-hmm. She has great content. Um, so I kind of walk in that world of like, okay, how do my kids own a relationship with Jesus? How do they grow um, and love him and live for him and serve him and want to make him known in a way that's uh, – where, where their dad's their dad, that's a blessing. And where it's a curse, pray it out, keep it out, stay away, yeah. Satan. You can't. So, how does that all fit within you being outpaced? Yeah. So, in my life, I've always been a, a confident person and somebody who really enjoys being the smartest guy in the room. Even if I'm not, I just enjoy thinking that I am. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, I latched on to theology early, middle school, high school. And, and then I grew up in a context that was very theologically, uh, I don't know if the rich is the right word. It was very theologically deep. You know, everything had an answer. Everything kind of fit in a, in a systematic theology. We, we, you know, we had answers for everything. Deep, deep belief in the sovereignty of God, all of that, which I don't, I'm not throwing any disparagement on that. But what it did was it, it actually played to my weaknesses because if I had answers and I could win an argument, mm. it appeared as spiritual maturity. You know, I was, I excelled at Bible memory. I excelled at Bible trivia from, you know, we're talking elementary school on up. So there was all of this outward evidence of, of being deep in the scriptures, but, but it was ultimately, it was kind of pharisaical, you know, in the same way that the Pharisees were, were experts in the, in, in the scriptures, but they didn't see what it actually pointed to. Mm -hmm. There wasn't, there was a touch of that in my life. So when I say outpaced for me, it looked like that where my my intellectual grasp of the truth of the Bible was pretty significant. And my soul's uh, like refreshment in scripture was really dry and shriveled up. And, and so it, it, it took a pretty significant work of the Lord to humble me and to, um, to put me in a place where I just realized, oh, I, 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 really, don't, I really don't know Jesus. I know of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And there's a significant difference. Oh, yeah. It doesn't sound to me like you're afraid in any way, shape, or form of the word humbled. So you really need to be humbled one way or the other, one time, multiple times, whatever it looked like through those years. You know, you talked about mm-hmm. losing a job due to some uh, dishonesty, whatever, being the smartest guy in the room. I've always liked the line about if you're the smartest guy in the room, you need to go find another room. Yeah, you're in the wrong room. But yep. you would have found another room and said, I'm still the smartest guy here, it sounds like, right? Well, I just tried to find the angles. I mean, so uh, here's an example. Like I... um. I worked in Christian publishing for a long time out of college for, for about 14 years before the Lord called me into, into vocational pastoral ministry. And I would go to conferences, which were full of pastors, and some of them were full of, of uh, theological academics, so, you know, multiple doctorates, just brilliant people. And I would still find ways to look down on these other people, you know, just sort of in my own heart, in my own head. That was just sort of the posture of my heart for a long time. Um, because I was more clever, because I was more funny, because they lacked social skills, because whatever, like run the list. And, and all of this, n- none of this is to actually disparage them. This is all a reflection of, of my own uh, pridefulness. So yeah, I absolutely needed to be humbled. And to this day, I think pride, especially pride in pastoral ministry, pride in leadership is a thing I'm, the, I'm probably the most fearful of mm-hmm. in, in ministry, you know, in, and it, that's exacerbated by the number of prominent uh, Christian leaders who have fallen and pride has been a major part of that. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, uh, 
I don't know if I'm humble, but I would certainly like to be more humble than I am. And, uh, and I would also like to avoid being humbled. Yeah. So I'd like to voluntarily work, work towards humility rather than involuntarily being humiliated. That's not enjoyable. Sure. Well, let's draw out of that another, a, a very funny, probably somewhat famous time. Your dad was humbled. We actually were messaging about it. And, uh, we obviously have a, a fandom of Nate Bargatze because you were quick to mention him in our messaging back and forth. But uh, his mm-hmm. podcast, the Nate Land podcast, him and Brian Bates and Aaron Weber were talking about this funny clip with your dad. And I'm like, what are they talking about? I've never heard of this. So I was watching it one day. And I don't know how many people I've sent that to. I've watched it multiple, multiple times. But your dad was at this conference, supposedly with Christian counselors, and mm-hmm. they thought he was a comedian. So how long after that took place did you find out about that clip? So uh, this was several years ago. So it was kind of, I think it was kind of before the instantaneous virality of things. You know, at this point, if there's something funny that happens, it's going to be viral in, you know, 24 hours or less. That This was pre that, but it was sort of rediscovered later. I, I was aware of it fairly quickly because I, you know, it, it that was, I'm pretty sure that was when I worked in in the Christian publishing space. So I had a lot of friends who were connected to to that whole scene and so they let me know about it you know by text message or whatever they're like hey you won't believe this is hilarious yeah so what happened was the the uh the mc got the order of speakers wrong and so he introduced he or she introduced my dad as a comedian because there was a comedian on the docket and so my dad gets up and if any of the listeners know like my dad is one of the most (laughs) like pedal to the metal focused, intense preachers you will run across, not a screaming hellfire and brimstone guy, but just like he goes, he goes all the way deep 35 seconds in. There's not a lot of sort of chit chat. We're going to ease into this. And so he's, he's earnestly speaking about sin in his own life and his need for the grace of God or something along those lines. And they're just guffawing because they're, they're primed for like setup, setup punchline. And my dad has never done set up, set up punchline in his life. He doesn't know how. And so it's uh, so he and he's getting more and more sort of baffled and frustrated. And they're getting more and more confused because this this setup punchline isn't actually very funny. And so it, it created this in, in retrospect, very funny context for him. It was really awkward because he you know, he's trying to preach from his heart and he's just being guffawed at by I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people in the room. It was crazy. I mean, like three and a half minutes in, I'm like, wow, you could just tell. And he would kind of say something that if you think he's a comedian, he he was being very vulnerable, like you said, talking about sin, like people are laughing. And uh, I I was, I mean, I I was like, how did I not hear about this? And of all things, I hear it on Nate Bargatze's podcast. Yeah, I I would, it would be funny in a room, like if someone introduces your dad to speak and all of a sudden up on the screen, they show that as his little intro clip. I I can't imagine how that's starting out. He he wishes that clip didn't exist. I mean, he's not mad, but he just to this day, if if I bring it up or somebody brings it up, you can tell there's just an awkwardness about it because it it was so it was so dissonant. I did appreciate the way that they handled it on Nate's podcast because they they weren't mocking him at all. It was just it was a statement of I think somebody asked the question of what if I'm a preacher, would I be able to transition to stand up comedy? And they were just talking about how people come in primed and ready to laugh. And then they use this clip as sort of the like, so here's an example. One guy comes in prime, ready to preach. Another, the audience comes in primed and ready to laugh. And you kind of get this awkward, like train wreck of a moment. Yep. It was, it was unbelievable. So what, what is it like? So John Piper's your dad. You know, one of the things I've always found very interesting about your dad is, is, you know, when you talked about deep, I mean, that's totally him. I did his study 
on um, the Right Now Media thing where he dives into Romans 8. <laughs> wow. Did it take you like four years? <laughs> it was it was pretty real. I mean, he dissects that thing. And I mean, he, and I was screenshotting stuff like crazy because there's so yeah. much color and drawing and circling words and whatever. But I mean, from a discipleship standpoint, you know, when I think of John Piper, I think glory of God probably stands mm-hmm. out the most. Obviously, the, the ministry and what he's built so many things on is desiring God. They all fit well together. You know, many people, I, I would think, have to look at you or meet you or hear from you and think, wow, John Piper's your dad. I mean, could you have had it better in a discipleship way? So what what was yeah. the like super, the, the positive that you're like, yeah, I'm so grateful John Piper's my dad. And what was like the, ooh, that's been super difficult to overcome? Yeah, I mean, it's talking about what it's like to be somebody's son is weird because how many people have multiple dads for the sake of comparison? You know, I only got I've only got the one, so so I don't I don't have a breadth of experience in being fathered. He's a great dad, um, and in terms of in terms of what he did best, and he he would probably be disappointed to hear this. Although I mean, we've talked about it, so this wouldn't come as any surprise. The things that stood out to me most, especially because of the the focus and the intensity of his ministry was all the non-ministerial stuff. It was, it was, you know, playing soccer and football and wiffle ball and basketball with us. I, when I say us, I have three older brothers. Um, it was, you know, going deep sea fishing or fishing at the pond on my grandparents' parents property in Georgia or, 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 or you just run the list down. It was, it was the fun stuff mm. that felt the most significant to me because the ministerial stuff was so ever present and I think this is a con. This is this is particular to a pastor's kids context. My guess is most PKs could relate to something about this. When my dad preached, I didn't feel like it was anything special. That's the biggest difference between me and the people who come up in adoration. They're like, "Oh, your dad has been so so so." I'm like, I have tuned my dad out <laughs> since I was six. Like that's what kids do. You just stop. You stop thinking your parents' words are brilliant because they talk all the time. Uh, my kids have done it to me. Like there's, they hear things from other people way better than they hear them from me. Yeah. And I'm grateful for those other people, but it's all that stuff that my dad gave me that other people couldn't mm. that the time, the, you know, whether it was reading books or, or playing in the backyard or whatever those things were, the, the stories that come to mind when I think about the, the joy of childhood are like the silly things, the fun things, the relational things, which as life has gone on, that's been the glue that's allowed me now to come back around to appreciating him on the ministerial side more. Um, if I hadn't had those, I think I would have just con- maintained tuning him out. But now I can come back and, you know, when I transitioned into pastoral ministry, we had a lot of lengthy conversations just asking his advice on, hey, how do you handle this? And I'm, you know, I was in my mid 30s and just what does it look like to do this? so that it's good for the family. What does it look like? What mistakes did you make that I should avoid? All that kind of stuff. And those are conversations that I could have because that's the guy who taught me how to field a ground ball and taught me how to Mm. put a worm on a hook. And like, there's a correlation there. Um, On the difficult side, it's the polarity between that and how other people perceive him. Built into the question of what is it like to be John Piper's son is the assumption that it was exceptional. And which also means there's not room, nor, nor should I talk trash about my dad. There's not room to be like, actually, sometimes it was really hard and I hated it. I didn't never hated him, but there were aspects of it that were pretty crappy. Being a pastor's kid can be really hard. Being the son of a pastor who's known, you know, by a lot of people can be exceptionally hard. The pressure that's put on you is really sure. hard. To this day, I still get people who come back and I'll say something they'll be like, what does your dad think about that? I'm like, I do not care. 
I'm 40 years old. You know, he's not grading my papers. I get to say what I want. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of John Piper. That, mm. that matters. And so that disparity where there's just a world of people who look at him as some sort of a spiritual father or some sort of a spiritual idol, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, remains profoundly uncomfortable. But I also want to be gracious because I know my dad's ministry has been fruitful for thousands upon thousands of people. And I never want to rain on that. But also, he's just dad on, yeah. on this other side. So there's just a significant disparity there that that can be challenging to navigate. Did you by chance watch, and I'm cur- I'd be curious, uh, this would be a neat, it- interesting movie, because if I'm right, your brothers and you are, you guys are kind of in different spaces, right? It's not like everybody's yeah. in the same place heading towards the finish line, spiritually with Jesus, right? Right. So have you watched Leaving My Father's Faith with Bart and Tony Campolo at all? I haven't. I'm I'm familiar with like the arc of their story, but I haven't watched that. So I do men's ministry, you know, for my day job with this thing called the gathering and you know, our tagline's connecting men to men and men to God. So we did a movie night with that. I think it was over COVID. Uh it was probably in the last couple of years. I think it was maybe kind of coming out when people were kind of getting back around and we sh- yeah. showed it at our church and uh just a fascinating, fascinating thing. And look at it and, and I wonder, you know, you guys are not in the same space. You're obviously walking with the Lord, but I wonder where challenges. You've been kind of honest, and we're going to talk about some other challenges with you in a minute. But the mutual respect that was there with those two, but then the places where they disagree. Like, I like where you said, I'm 40 years old. My dad's not grading my papers. I don't have to answer to John Piper. I answer to God. There there was not disrespect in how you said that, Barnabas, and I really respect and appreciate that. But that movie would be a fascinating watch with, you know, you, your dad, wherever your brother's are accessible, available to watch that. Just yeah. see, like, because I think we all go through, you know, as much as we don't like the term deconstruction, and the phrase better is if we're doing it right and and come back to Christ, it's reconstruction. But everybody mm-hmm. probably has to deconstruct somewhat. I'm sure you have. Yeah, and it's in, in, and at various places, it was it, it leaned more into the unhealthy version of deconstruction, which I would just call destruction. You know, where you're just like, I'm just smashing all this stuff that I don't like anymore. And then, and then by God's grace and, and his, you know, the, especially the people he put around me who were faithful to the Lord, it, it guided me into a, into a, a long season of reconstruction and, and what has been reconstructed doesn't look like my dad's faith in terms of its, in terms of its totality, but it does at its core. We believe mm. in the same Jesus. We believe in the same sovereignty of God. We believe in salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, like the, the core doctrines of what it means to be a Christian, we are in lockstep on. The expressions of how it plays out, how we live out our Christian lives are different. You know, where we stand on some tangential, what I would call secondary issues. So that not the things that define the Christian faith, but they're part of how you lead or, or how you, you know, how you handle your family or how you lead a church. We would differ on some of those things. And it's, you know, there's still occasionally tension there. But what I've realized, especially as my dad gets older, I mean, he's in his mid seventies now, is that wasting time on what we disagree with yeah. is is foolishness. I have I don't know if I have 5 minutes or you know 30 years left with him. But of that time, it would be much more fruitful for me to enjoy that company to 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 invest in that relationship, to learn from his wisdom, to just to just be able to set aside the things that frustrate me or or that we disagree on. And you know, earlier I mentioned the sort of like that sort of prideful drive that I have of like, yeah, I'm just going to do things my way. The Lord has used that to a degree because it's actually allowed me to have confidence to hold the line mm. 
agreements with my dad. So it's a weakness when it's prideful. It's a strength wow. when it's conviction. And uh, and so the Lord has used that so that I can just say, yeah, I, I know we disagree, but I'm not shaken in this just because your name's John Piper. Like I'm not overly impressed with him because he's John Piper. That's one of the advantages of being a son. Yeah. You don't have to be wowed by your dad. Um, so there are things that other people are like, oh, I don't know, but John Piper said this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I was there. I don't care. And that's okay. You know, there, there's there's freedom in that. There's even respect in that. And it's allowed me then, I think, to grow into more fruitfulness, more security and a new deeper relationship with the Lord, because I'm not constantly grading myself against what would he think. Yeah. That's a terrible way to be an adult. Grading yourself by what your parents think as an adult is profoundly unhealthy, psychologically, relationally and spiritually. It's just not good for you. So that that was part of what the Lord has brought about for me. Wow. So you roll that up and put that together, you specifically, and then, you know, just in general, why is our identity in Christ important? Like, why is that significant for you, Barnabas, in light of everything we're talking about? Man, that's such a big question. It's hard to answer. If you don't have an identity in Christ, you don't have an identity. I think that that's the bottom line. If your identity is in anything else, it is in something that will pass away or something that is changing or something that will let you down. So in your relationship with your parents, well, guess what? They're going to die or they're going to sin against you because that's what humans do. Uh, If it's in your achievements, guess what? People will stop caring or you will fail or something will happen that diminishes that identity. So you just run down the line. If your identity is not in who Christ says you are, and we could run down the list of Bible verses, uh, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Uh, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons out of Romans 8. Um, For God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And just on and on and on. You know, the first half of Ephesians 2 tells us who we are in Christ. If that doesn't define us, then who are we? And so that's a thing that I can say with with passion and confidence now that at 20, Mm. I, I could have written a paper on it, but I didn't understand it. I was still defined by what I was trying to be or what I was trying not to be, as opposed to come what may, I am in Christ. I am Christ. And the thing about identity in Christ is that it's it's not a question of even how we perceive ourselves or how we shape ourselves. It it just is. You are, If you are a believer, you are in Christ. The question is not, is that true? The question is, do you recognize it? Mm-hmm. Do you recognize who you are? It's just, it just is. It, it, it exists for you. You have it. He didn't die at the cross so you could earn your way into something or so that you could become something. He died on the cross so that when you believe you become his, there's an instantaneous transformation in terms of, in terms of the root of your identity. Now live in it. Wow. Live in a manner worthy yep. of the calling you have received. What calling? The calling to, to be in Christ. It's so good. So many good things in there that could, that could unpack into a sermon series and then some. So let's look at at least the three main roles I know of outside of family pastoring and preaching there. You got podcasting and you're obviously doing some writing. So what does that look like in the course of a week or in your days focused on those three kind of areas? And maybe there's something I'm missing in that. Yeah. I mean, I think the one that's missing is just family. So I'm, I'm married. I have two daughters and uh, you know, that, that is the, that's the category out of which everything else withdraws, you know? So like that, that comes first and anything else eats into that first priority. Now, I'm also called to be a pastor. So there's sort of a dual, there's a dual reality there. But the fact is that if if pastoring eats into my relationship with my wife or my kids, I need to make some adjustments because that 
I will be with them for the rest of my life. I don't know where the Lord is going to call me in relation to the church. I hope I stay at the church I'm at. I, I love serving where I am. But bottom line is, I think my family comes first. So if that if that suffers, I need to make changes. So that's first. Pastoring is is the bulk of it. I wasn't called to be a pastor. I was called to pastor at Emmanuel Church mm. in Nashville. And so this is this is my church family. This is my calling. It has to take priority. So if I'm doing a podcast like this, the first calculus when I receive an invitation is, is it going to cost me where where my priorities need to be? Now, the church is also really gracious, and they understand that a piece of what the Lord has given me to do is this kind of thing or writing. And so there's there's room there. And then the writing and the podcasting, I would put writing above podcasting in terms of priority. <laughs> For a couple reasons. One, the podcast that I do is is mostly fun. I don't even think we think of it as a ministry as much as it is just a hopefully it's hopefully it's beneficial. But I don't, you know, we're not sort of praying through how do we minister in this as much as just how do we fill a space that other people aren't really filling? Sort of lightheartedly looking at pretty significant issues, but also sometimes just being ridiculous, giving people a chance to laugh, giving people permission to to have a sense of humor, which is not a thing conservative Christians always do very well. But writing is one of those things that I, I look at and I go, okay, well, if I'm doing this, maybe somebody will pick up this book in 10 or 15 or 20 years and it will be fruitful then. So my investment today might encourage somebody who's a pastor's kid in 20 years or who's trying to figure out church membership in 20 years. Uh, in some sense, I think of it as a legacy for my kids. I don't know that they'll ever read my stuff, but they could. And then they'll get a, a different kind of look into the window of my soul, my story, what I've been through how the Lord has worked in my life. So yeah, if I was going to, if I was just going to put them in order, you know, family comes first and I'm not always great at that church is second, but it's kind of one a and one B and then writing. And then podcasting is, is a thing that I love doing. It's fun, but it, it is, uh, it feels more recreational than it does ministerial. Let me, let me say to that, and this is not a, a, a correction at all. This is hopefully nothing but an encouragement, but I commented that you guys had kind of talked about is podcasting and something like that. You had a little bit of a, a space there where you were talking about it. Is it ministry? I think for mm -hmm. me, just in a 45-minute drive I had up here today to, to talk to you, I, I felt like I got familiar with you. I saw kind of you know sarcasm, humor, heart whatever kind of wrapped up in that and even some stuff you guys talked about as far as the whole Grammys thing with Sam Smith and where that fits and where that play it places you guys had a real kind of irreverence that had a holiness to it like okay it's not that important and I think it was you it's sometimes hard to tell with you guys' voices who's doing the talking <laughs> but I think you made a comment like yeah I haven't watched that in years but if my kids wanted to watch it because it would be something important to them I might sit down and watch it and I just thought as a dad, as a man, as a leader, as a follower of Jesus, there was some sharpening that went on in my heart and soul, not to oversell that, not to over magnify that. But um, in that 45 minutes, I listened to a couple of your podcasts. I felt like there was some sharpening and some good things that happened to me, you know, as a follower of Jesus. So not that well, you guys- That is encouraging. Thank you. Not that you guys need me to, to invite me on or something to set you guys all straight <laughs> and say it can be ministry, but I definitely felt that minister too with me in the midst of feeling like I was the fourth seat with just the headphones on, only listening to you guys talk, you know, where you were. So um, let me let me jump into this. So as you said something about you hope, you know, if your kids read your book one day, then that was an investment of your time that was worthwhile. When you prepare for a sermon or on a personal level, when God's dealing with you on a topic or, or, or some trait quality of Christ that you're trying to grow in, do you ever look at the, the, the library and say, 
you know what, my dad's book about this, I never read it. That book might really speak to this right now, much like you're hoping maybe at some point for your own kids. Um, I don't, but mostly because I've read, I've read a number of my dad's books and they're usually the ones that are, that are, let's call them, they're, they're more very, they're, they're focused on a specific topic. So on preaching, on missions, uh, the, some of the biographies he's done, his book on, on race, some of those kinds of things. And that feels to me like having a conversation with him a little mm. bit about those topics. When you get into like his broader theological works, that feels like I have heard the the core of this yep. for my entire life. And I think, you know, as a preacher, so I'm not our primary preacher, but I'm, I'm one of our, I'm one of our, I'm kind of in our preaching rotation at our church. And one of the things that's on always at the back of my mind is you are free not to sound like John Piper, which is good. Cause I would do a terrible imitation of him. Like I'm, he has a set of gifts that I don't have and I should not try to be that. But part of that is not inundating myself with something that would just, that it would, it would run the risk of me saying, do I measure up to how John Piper would teach this? And again, part of preparing a sermon is, is the Lord giving the preacher a direction on a text or on a topic. And so that I, I need that. And John Piper's not the Holy Spirit, mm. but I know that it would outweigh the spirit for me. So I go to other sources. I mean, I'm I'm not saying I don't go to other sources. I, I lean on all sorts of wise preachers who don't hold the same sway. So for me, I think that would be foolishness. For somebody else, they're probably going to benefit greatly from yeah. it. No, that's good. Well, I like I like how you framed that and what you need as a man, as a preacher, as a speaker, as a researcher, and then, you know, kind of how that works, you know, you as a son with what you've gotten before. So let's go through these rapid five questions I like to do. They're kind of yep. fun. They're kind of light, quick, heavy hitting, and we move on. So Barnabas, what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Uh, favorite cereal was Golden Grahams, and that <laughs> remains true to this day. It's a great it's answer. Classic. It is. Very good. What is your favorite book you most like to gift to other people? You know, it's funny. I almost never give books because giving books feels like it's like buying clothes for your wife. The odds of you getting it like right. your, your, your intentions are right. And the outcome isn't always great. Yeah. So, uh, but if I was going to, if I was going to give one, it would be counterfeit gods by Tim, Tim Keller, Keller. Mm -hmm. is one, his book on idolatry. It's in any stage of the Christian life. It is profoundly helpful and it's one it's accessible enough that you could put it in the hands of just about anybody. That's, that's good. Okay, your family is going to vacation. Let's say you guys are heading to, let's say you're heading to Ashland, Ohio. You're going to go see Ronnie <laughs> Martin and you're heading up 75, 71 at some point and you get to a spot and let's say one of your kids has to go to the bathroom and it's like 10, 15 minutes before you wanted to stop for your meal and you're like, well, we're not going to stop twice. And one of these places would not be on the road sign exit ramp, but we're going to put it there anyway. You've got your choice between McDonald's Chick-fil-A, or I assume you've had at some point in and out burger. Which one makes it? Who who do you got who does Team Piper stop at? Oh, I mean Sanctified Chicken is the right answer here. <laughs> uh, mostly, mostly because of their efficiency. If you want to get in and out yeah. on a road trip, you will get in and out of Chick-fil-A in 10 minutes or less. In and out should just be called in and in and in and in and in and then out because yeah, they are funny. the slowest. Wow. And then McDonald's is like McDonald's is that's what you get if there's nothing else at the exit and yeah. you need to get something. It's fine. But no. So Chick-fil-A is the right answer. That is hilarious. Uh, Barnabas. And by the way, I got to start calling you pipe. I'm hearing everybody. I'm Ted and Ronnie are calling <laughs> you pipe. I'm I'm cheating by saying Barnabas. That's wrong. Uh, so what movie 
if you were to stumble across it streaming, you and your wife are hanging out some Friday or Saturday night, she either lets you choose or you choose something together, what movie would sucker you in every time? Oh, The Sandlot. The oh, Sandlot wow. is maybe one of the greatest pieces of cinematic work ever done. And it's, uh, I, I fell in love with it when I was 10, when it first came out, 10 or 11. And, uh, and it holds up to this day. It has never gone out of style. I can quote good chunks of it. It's, it's amazing. Wow. Okay. I got, I got to give it another, sh- it's been a long time. I think, you know what? I don't even know if I've truly watched it. I remember coming back from vacation one year and my wife and kids were watching it. She was leaning back from the front seat to go back and watch it. She loved it. And I don't even know that I've totally watched it other than kind of secondhand like that. Okay. So pipe lastly, first celebrity crush. Who was it? Well, I'm, I'm going to stay in the Sandlot lane. And the answer is Wendy Peppercorn, who is the, the teenage <laughs> yeah. love interest of Squints Polidorus. And uh, I, I, I don't even know who played her, but that, but it was the character anyway. It was just that, that character as portrayed on screen for 10 year old me was, yeah, it was an utter heartthrob. Wow. There you go. You, you made the, you made those kind of easy, just tying them together. So well, another thing you've talked about, and when I did a little research and read up on you some, you have been very honest about going through divorce about six years ago. And I'm tied to a board with a marriage ministry in our community, and uh, you, you've since remarried in 2020. Mm-hmm. And one yep. of the things we actually talked about at a board meeting recently was maybe not doing enough to show and honor and point people to second marriages that are good. How would you speak to that with what you went through and pushing hard and pushing forward in a second marriage? Yeah, man, there's, there's so, there's so much, um, complication in that just the, because one of the risks of promoting, you know, man, these are really healthy second marriages is that especially among the more sort of conservative, uh, maybe cautious, fearful people is that it looks like you're saying, oh, divorce is fine. It's going to end up well, which is not the case. One of the things that I think we need to have a keener understanding of about in terms of redemption just the, the very concept of redemption is that redemption does not say that a bad thing is good. It miraculously brings good out of a bad thing. Mm. So the bad remains bad. Divorce sucks. It's awful. It's awful if you're the victim of someone's sin. It's awful if you've been the one who sinned. It's awful if it's one of those 50-50, we just couldn't make it work things. Like whatever the situation is, there's no such thing as an amicable divorce. You know, there, there's not fighting. But there's there's always broken hearts. And if there's not, those are just hard hearts. Mm-hmm. And so to talk about this has to be done in a context of a recognition that what people are coming out of is miserable and painful and has sin involved and on, on whichever side. And so when you look ahead at redemption, you're not denying that you're what you're really doing is focusing on there is an unexplainable reality that God can bring about, which is redemption making something good out of something bad. And for me, my, my, uh, you know, I got, I got remarried in 2020. So we were coming up on three years now. And, and it is that story. It is a story of, of redemption. That is, that makes no sense aside from the mercy of God. And I think that it's that piece that I would want to highlight most so that we can speak honestly about the misery because people need that too. Divorce has been so trivialized. It's so commonplace that people are just like, oh yeah, he's, he, you know, he's a divorced guy. And that phrase has in it, has, has in it heartbreak and depression and temptation. And, you know, there's like, you can run down the list of the things that that has brought about in a man's life or a woman's life that 
that cannot be summed up in that. So we need to decasualize divorce and then prioritize this reality of redemption that is that is miraculous then we can look ahead at what comes after that in the context of would we do things differently if we could yes can we absolutely not so we're going to rest in the grace of god going forward and what he has brought about wow there's there's such power in how you said that there's grace there's hard truth and i think you didn't you know somebody else to say what you just said there could have really compromised one over the other as far as okay it is not a big deal and let's just move on and let's don't talk about the pain and the hurt, how hard it is versus lack the redemption and how God can really do something, you know, good, beautiful, kind, the whole thing. So let's, let's kind of end more on this. So let's talk about, you got a book out called Belong. Uh, you had the mm-hmm. one that did well called uh, The Pastor's Son. Talk about Belong and why is that a book people should get their hands on? Yeah. I, so Belong just came out at the beginning of this year and my hope for it. And, you know, you asked, why should people, why should people get their hands on it? I think the institutional church, church membership, is at a place now where people are really questioning, including people who are lifelong church goers, even people committed to church going, how reliable is this thing? Because there's just, the news is not favorable to the church. All the stories we hear are of churches screwing up, you know, clergy screwing up, leadership screwing up, churches getting attached to politics in a really unhealthy way, whatever the case may be. And so what I wanted to do in the book, and it's like 90 or 100 pages. So this is this is for people who are not, you know, they're not they're not waiting in. They just they're like, I just want some encouragement is to try to paint a picture of what did God design his church for and what is your place in the church? And and when I say the church, I don't just mean the broad like collection of Christians, global church. I mean, a local church committing to a body of believers and how how that reflects the reality of Jesus. And so, yeah, trying to look at identity, trying to look at practicalities, and then trying to answer some of the questions of what if you've been burned by a church? What if you've been really frustrated and disappointed by a church? What if you're brand new to church and you don't even know what this thing is to try to help just, okay, what steps can you take? How can you view this? So, I mean, my hope is that churches will give it out to new people or small groups will go, go through it together. Uh, the kind of thing just to, to kind of, to reinforce the beauty and the goodness of church which is a sentence that doesn't make any sense to some of you listeners. You're listening and going, nope, church has no beauty or goodness, but it does. It's in the Bible. We've just managed to botch some things. But again, we were just talking about redemption. There's a, there's a redeeming of the, of the story arc for the church as well. And, and I, I'm hoping this book can contribute to that. So give us a 45 to 60 second little blurb on why people, especially because there's going to be people who listen to this who are pastor's kids or they're in ministry mm-hmm. and their, their kids are going to be those people. Why, why should people check out pastor's kid? Yeah, man, thank you for asking. So if you grew up as a pastor's kid, you know that when you make eye contact, you find somebody else, you meet them, you find out they're a pastor's kid. There's sort of that subtle knowing nod because you immediately know, yeah, you and me, we went through the same thing. And it doesn't matter if it's a church of 10,000 or 100 there's similarities there. What we often don't realize as pastors, kids, until we're older is how that stunted our relationship with Christ and our relationship with the church. So my hope is that through writing this book, it helps break down some of those things that that weigh on us to give us some freedom to come to a genuine relationship with Christ and maybe a healthier relationship with the church. On the pastor's side, I didn't write this when I was a pastor. I wrote it before I was. And so now I'm looking back at it going, okay, this is my this is my accountability system. I wrote it. I've got to live it. Pastors don't always realize the pressures that their kids are under. And so my hope is that this book will open up avenues of communication so that they can just ask questions. How how are you experiencing this? Have you run into this? So that they can be a context of safety and trust and support for their kids when there are those difficulties 
in the church. Mm. Amen. Some good stuff. Well, folks, I hope we check out what Barnabas is up to. Tell us more where people can find you, Twitter, Facebook, all the social handles, and anywhere else they want to find yeah. out. Emmanuel Church as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the church is EmmanuelNashville.com. So I'm, I'm one of our pastors there. If you're ever passing through Nashville, which many people do because it's a crossroads and a destination city, we'd love to have you visit. You can find me at BarnabasPiper.com. That's my website where you can find books, some information about the podcast, that kind of thing. And then I'm on Twitter at BarnabasPiper and on Instagram at BarnabasWPiper and would you know try to interact a lot on both of those social media platforms. Well, Barnabas, I appreciate you doing this. We've been we've been kind of back and forth on this for a while. I think we got started on Twitter, and uh, you know, I always try to pray before a podcast that you would receive back much more than what you give because you're going to give, and and I feel like you gave to me today. So I appreciate your uh, generosity you. of time and some of the answers to questions. And I love that you're not afraid to tackle what could be perceived as tough stuff by other people, and you just embrace it all and run headstrong into it. Well, I appreciate that. I really appreciate the thoughtfulness of the questions. And I think the Lord answered your prayer that, that this would be a fruitful conversation. I hope it's encouraging to listeners. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.